Hello and welcome to Cabana Chats, a podcast about writing and community brought to you by The Resort, an international community of writers based in Queens, New York City. I'm your host, Catherine Lasota. On this episode of the podcast, I get to talk with the wonderful Hannah Bay. There is this mentality of trying to hoard resources that still persists, and I, I'm not about it, and that's kind of what drives me in terms of community is dismantling those barriers and, and gates because I don't think they should exist. Hannah Bay is a freelance journalist and nonfiction writer who is at work on a memoir about family estrangement and mental illness. She's the 2020 nonfiction winner of the Rona Jaffe Foundation Writers Award, and she is a 2021 Peter Taylor Fellow for the Kenyan Review Writers Workshop. Hannah is focused on stories about Korean-American culture and identity, and in 2019, several of her essays received nominations for the Pushcart Prize. She was also a 2019 Open City Fellow in Narrative Nonfiction at Asian American Writers Workshop. Through 2018 and 2019, Hannah served as president of Asian American Journalists Association's New York chapter, for which she was named AAJA Nationals Chapter President of the Year in 2019. Hannah and I talked about the importance of being kind to your fellow writers, of not hoarding resources, and also that it's okay to step back from community projects once in a while to focus on your own writing. This was a really lovely conversation, and I can't wait for you to listen. I am here today with the absolutely wonderful Hannah Bay. Hannah, I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you for being here on the Cabana Chats podcast. And as we get started, I would love to hear from you just a little bit about um, where you are in the world, a little bit about your life outside of writing to give some context to who you are and, uh, and what your world is like. Yeah. Thanks so much, Catherine. It's such a pleasure to be here with you. For those who uh, don't know us in real life, um, I just got to see Catherine for the first time in person recently, so that's really exciting. Um, So what a pleasure to be a part of the resorts community. Um, So I'm talking to you today from Brooklyn, uh, and I am in my apartment in Park Slope. I hang here a lot these days. Um, For a long time during the pandemic, I was only within walking distance of my apartment. And so I've gotten to know my neighborhood really well. And a big part of kind of getting to know my neighbors is my dog. So I am a dog owner and dog obsessed. And yeah, we chill here in Brooklyn and uh, I cook a lot and just enjoy life here with Ramona, my dog, and my husband, Adam. (laughs) Okay, so your dog's name is Ramona. Please clarify for anyone listening, is that indeed a literary reference? Absolutely, yes. Yes, she's named after Ramona Quimby. It's really funny when I tell people that she's named Ramona because there's a real generational difference. People who are on the younger side always know Ramona Quimby, but then people who are older always ask if it's a reference to the Bob Dylan song. Oh, 
Okay, see, now... Which I don't even know. Yeah, me neither. But I would think... So you didn't... You were not intrigued to look it up when people started mentioning it around the name of your dog? I mean, I've I've looked it up, like, once or twice, but I, I could, like, hum some bars from it, but I don't know the whole song. Or It's not, like, my jam, you know? Sure. It's not your reasoning for naming your dog, Ramona. I understand. Yeah. I, our, yeah. our son was actually named after a character on a television show. <laughs> And, yes. uh, <laughs> and we, um, we then looked up the other, uh, uses of the name and meetings around the name, but it still always is like connected to that show for us because that was the origin of the name. Right. Yeah. Um, okay. So you like to cook. I need to know either your favorite things to cook or what you've cooked most recently. Mm. Uh, well, last night, yes. Last night we had a bunch of friends over and cooked Korean food for them. So I made, you know, a ton of rice. We have lots of little side dishes and preserved and fermented uh, pickles and um, what we call panchan in Korean. And um, so we had a lot of those. And then I made like a spicy, crunchy tofu dish. And uh, my husband made like savory scallion and seafood pancakes. So, wait, this is reminding me that, first of all, delicious, and I want some now. I think I just ate, like, a cookie and some eggs, and it was very basic. (laughs) And it was, you know, it did the job, but I want that. (laughs) Sounds amazing. Um, Didn't you and your husband have um, a project around food together? Am I remembering this correctly with illustration? Can you tell us about that a little bit? Yeah, it's still ongoing. Um, So my husband and I have a project called Eat, Drink, Draw. And in the past, it was focused mostly on food illustrations. But then as time has passed, we write articles, we've done videos um, in addition to our illustrations and take photos and just eat and cook and want to share that with friends and uh, anyone who's curious about Korean food. I feel like um, it's very much a side hustle or like side interest for us because both of us have our own careers in other fields, but we love to cook and eat. And I'm so excited that he loves Korean food so much because he's not Korean. And, um, I think that he has just totally embraced it and really learned so much about the different cooking techniques. And, um, he's a lot more, experienced as a cook than I am. So he has encouraged us to be more ambitious in the kitchen. And I've been really excited to see that we can do so much just at home, you know? Yeah. Oh, that is awesome. Um, Eat, drink, draw. And folks can check that out, out, I think, at eatdrinkdraw.com. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right. How um, How has that project changed for you over the past year and a half? Um, when maybe the ways that we are eating or not eating out as much, cooking more at home, has that come into play with the project for you guys? Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, to be honest, like I haven't done a lot of drawing recently. I did a solo illustrated project earlier in the year, but um, we lent some of our illustrations to various community projects throughout the pandemic. So um, one of our friends, Amy Zhang, made a fundraiser called Dumplings Against Hate. And so we used 
some of our dumpling illustrations to help um, advertise her project. And she was raising funds um, for Chinatown businesses um, and also to, um, to, you know, raise awareness of anti-Asian hate that was happening, you know, starting for a long time. Um, it's been going on for a long time, but um, yeah, I thought that was a really great thing to do. I also shared some of my illustrations as part of a, an art project. So there's this group called the Korean American Artist Collective that was putting together a portfolio of Korean American women artists to raise funds for different community organizations after the Atlanta killings. And so I, I um, contributed some of my illustrations for that portfolio. So people who buy the whole portfolio will get some of my prints. And um, yeah, so it's been great to be able to use some of our art for community causes. Oh, that is really fantastic. Um, I'm glad that you're bringing that up because as you know, this is a podcast about writing and community. And it's wonderful to hear about different creative projects um, getting involved in community endeavors as well. Do you have anything going on with writing over the past year and a half in particular that is also tied into any of these, um, any similar or other community efforts like the illustration work? Yeah, yeah. Well, actually, for the Korean American Artist Collective project, initially, they asked me to just come on board by contributing some of my visual art. But then they asked um, if I would be interested in writing a curatorial essay for the entire portfolio. So that is something that I'm currently working on. Like, I just got edits back this morning. And um, I also helped to organize a literary event with literary artists who were invited to contribute. So um, the curators of this portfolio, um, their names are Dave and Steph, and they've been really intentional about getting people across all different walks of life, you know, who who fit the identity of Korean American woman artist. Uh, But they wanted to make sure to have like good queer representation, good representation of adoptees, of immigrants, of people who have been born here and et cetera. And, So I helped to um, bring up some of my favorite Korean American women writers and um, we had a reading. It actually ended up being when I was at a writing residency, so I had I couldn't join, but I suggested one of my friends from my writing group to serve as the moderator. So it's been really nice to like bring my different communities together and hopefully allow each to expand. That is super cool. And it's also nice to hear that you were involved with this and you could still somehow be involved with it even when you were on a writing residency. And that's probably a testament to the fact that you are so deeply involved in a number of communities. Um, and it's a real skill, I think, to be able to bring them together. And it's, it's very enriching. Um, so that's, that's cool to hear. What, what was the residency you were at when that was happening? Oh, yeah. So that one, I had actually found out about it through our mutual friend, Brian Gresco. So before Brian and I were friends, I had heard him speak at a conference and he mentioned that he had done a residency that was at um, the Writers' Colony at Dairy Hollow in um, Eureka Springs, Arkansas. And my in-laws are actually from Arkansas and they live quite close to Eureka Springs. And my husband was born and raised in, in Northwest Arkansas as well. So I was like, oh, this could be a good place to apply because I already have a link to Arkansas. So maybe when I'm visiting family, like I could do something writing related. 
So in 2019, I applied and got a residency, which was really exciting, but then it had to be postponed until July of 2021 because of COVID. It's that's really great that they could postpone it, though, and and like that you could still have it. Right. Yes. Yes. And it was my first time doing a residency at a place where, you know, it was a juried fellowship where I had, you know, submitted writing samples and then, you know, a a panel of judges had picked my application. So um, it felt really great to be to get that kind of gratification and recognition. Yeah, no, fantastic. Well, well earned, well deserved. Thank and you. Yes, of course. Um, and also, I'm so glad that you mentioned Brian Gresco. He is a wonderful, dear mutual friend and was a guest on the podcast a few episodes ago. So if you guys haven't heard that, you should go back and check it out. It's a great conversation. Um, but there's an incredible example of you meet somebody, you heard him talking about this at a panel, I think you said, right? And mm-hmm. and it led to you then applying. So there, I think we have an example, right, of how community really comes into play in finding opportunities for your writing and, um, and opening up new ideas. Um, do you have any other recent examples that you might want to share that involve um, relationships that have developed through certain literary circles that then led to an opportunity for yourself or for somebody else that was especially awesome? Yeah, I feel like my whole life is is just a series of chain reactions based on encountering someone good who then introduced me to someone else good and then I was able to introduce somebody else to that person too. Um, But actually, very recently... Um, Catherine, we got to get together to meet the new fellows um, at at the resort. Yes. Yes. And so um, one of the fellows and I just did a phone call. It was my Tran. And my knows one of my friends from NYU. So they had worked together, um, you know, in in the journalism program. And um, that friend in common, her name is Grace Moon. She had interviewed me and my husband, Adam, about our Eat, Drink, Draw project for a site called Her Campus NYU. And then that became like a friendship, uh, you know, with me and my husband and Grace. But um, it's just really interesting to see just like these ripple effects of how like one connection leads to another and then another and then another. So... Um, I mean, I was really happy to talk to Mai about being kind of an interdisciplinary writer and having that journalism background, as well as that creative writing impulse. And so basically, I wanted to just really say that, you know, there's something really wonderful about having both of those types of writing in your toolkit and um, that hopefully they can inform each other and that it doesn't make you any more or less of one type of writer, but that you can like contain multitudes as a writer. Totally, totally. And I I hear you saying this story and something that I feel so much and it, maybe it's not totally true. You can tell me if you disagree, but that the writing world can and start to feel small sometimes if you've, if you start talking to enough people and it's this uh, seven degrees of Kevin Bacon, but in writing <laughs> through through things, which, which is um, one good reason I want to say to everybody to always be kind. And I think that yes. is something that you definitely practice, Hannah, 
to be kind to people because there's links all over the place. And you should be kind just to be a kind person. But yes, it sounds like you agree with that, right, that philosophy. Yeah, I I really do. And unfortunately, I don't think that's something that has been um, kind of preached as a gospel in literature. I know so many people who have really acted very differently. Like I talked to another young writer this week who was saying that um, when he has asked other more senior writers for help, they don't want to open those doors. They don't want to remove barriers. They just want to keep their position as a gatekeeper. And I think that's so disheartening. I just don't know why somebody would do that. And it happens in academia and it happens in social circles. And I think that there is this mentality of trying to hoard resources that still persists. And I, I'm not about it. And I want to do everything I can to, to dismantle it. But, um, yeah, that's, that's kind of what drives me in terms of community is dismantling those barriers and and gates because I don't think they should exist. Yeah. That's, um, that is, so good to hear that that is your approach as well. And I hear you. I see that hoarding of resources, not just within writing circles or creative practice, but generally, and I'm just going to go ahead and blame capitalism as one of the reasons um, uh, that people hoard resources. But, you know, you see it as a problem with what's happening around the globe, with climate, with everything. It's just like this idea of hoarding resources. Um, it filters up and down in all kinds of ways. When we when we did see each other in person a few days ago, I was mentioning a couple of writers that have given me hope in this idea of like imagining different futures, like Octavia Butler, like Adrian Marie Brown. Um, to think, you know, we don't have to live in a way where we that the approach is to hoard resources. Because I don't know about you, I do know about you. I know this because we've chatted enough, but. Um, when another writer is successful, it just helps all of us. Like we, it's a, it's a unit. It's like a, it's a, it's an organism. We're all in it together. It's true. And I didn't always feel that way. Like when I was younger and less, it, and less secure in who I was and, and, and in my writing, I used to feel so intensely jealous of other writers. Um, this happened a lot in journalism too. Like I would see one of my friends, like an actual friend succeed, but I would burn with envy. And I hope that it's a sign of maturity and growth and feeling secure in who I am, that I truly don't feel that anymore. And I'm trying to really encourage the writers that I work with to let go of those feelings. I um, I read this fantastic um, Q&A that was in Poets and Writers recently. Um, it includes... Um, the last names are what Chavez, Nguyen, and Salises. So it's Viet Thanh Nguyen, Matthew Salises, and then uh, I the, the woman whose who's surname is Chavez. I don't know her full um, name off the top of my head. I but th- I, I think I, I know who you're talking about, and I'm blanking. And I, I'm going to look it up and put it in the show notes for the episode so people know. Yes. I'm just going to... You're going to Google it, aren't you? <laughs> yes. So... It, I, I'm pulling it up. It's called We Build It Ourselves, a roundtable on race, power, and the writing workshop. And this um, this whole discussion was um, kind of 
moderated by Namrata Podar. I don't know if I'm saying her name correctly, but um, it's Felicia Rose Chavez, um, who is the the third writer. And she wrote this book called The Anti-Racist Writing Workshop, which I haven't read yet, but I'm like, I need this book. But yes, yes. um, So Chavez had this part in the Q&A where she talks about like all of our private suffering and insecurity that we go through as writers. And she encourages her writers that she works with in the classroom to write down their fears and then say them out loud and just exorcise them, you know, like get them out and let them go. So I I used that as a prompt in my class just on Monday. Like, what are your biggest writing related fears? Like, how do your insecurities play out? How does your jealousy play out? And then and then from there, I use Chavez's example to think instead about your mentors. Who are your mentors and how can you follow in their footsteps and then take it even further in your own way? And um, yeah, so I just, I try, to, I try to think from that point of view and I loved the way that she articulated it. I, I had so many fantastic examples in my own experience as a student, like one of the teachers who I have really loved and have since befriended is Michelle Philgate mm-hmm. and another podcast class, guest, by the way. Oh my gosh. Really? <gasps> Yay. <laughs> See, it's all connected. It's all connected. All these webs of good people, like intertwining. It's, I, I love it. But in her class, she had said that, you know, she really looks up to Lydia Yuknovich and the way that she champions other writers all the time. Mm-hmm. And I thought about who is somebody that I consider a writing mentor and who is my role model and how they conduct themselves in terms of other writers. And um, one of the very first creative writing classes I took as an adult was with Nicole Chung. And I honestly felt very unprepared for that class. I was like DMing her and I was like, I don't know if I'm underqualified to take this, but I'm just gonna sign up anyway. And she was so wonderful, so encouraging, so willing to share actual information that is usually held back and, um, you know, cloaked in opacity when it comes to the publishing industry. And she is just constantly a champion for other writers and um, shows so much kindness to people. And that's who I want to be like. So that is I think wonderful. of those people. That's yes. wonderful. And with Nicole Chung, I mean, she's wonderful. Um, Michelle's wonderful. Um, we try to have these wonderful folks on the podcast because I feel like there's a lot of them. And you do want to counterbalance um, where that's not happening because it is not happening, as you said, when some people are, are hoarding resources. Um, I was going to ask you, you know, you admitted when you were younger, you didn't necessarily feel this sense of generosity. Um, you felt some jealousy when friends had good news. And I think that's something we can all relate to. And I was wondering what shifted for you that you don't feel that way anymore. But it it sounds like it might have been being around some good examples of otherwise. Is there anything else that really like shifted for you to move into more mm. of a community mindset? You know what? One of the things I did is that I left the journalism newsroom environment. I was a full-time journalist, you know, working nine to five or some iteration of that um, for more than 10 years. And that is an intensely competitive environment. I think that there are a lot of us who are working actively to break that down as well, because we've seen 
burnout. We felt it personally. I certainly have. Um, and I really think there's a better way to, to report the news. Um, and so leaving that kind of toxic work environment certainly helped me. And then also going to therapy, getting mental health care has been huge. I, I feel like having a non, non-invested, you know, objective listener then ask me questions like, well, then what would make you happy? You know, Mm. do you really want that thing that somebody else has? And then sometimes I'm forced to acknowledge that, no, I don't want that. Like when I left my last newsroom job, I saw that if I had stuck around, like I could have gotten a promotion pretty soon after. And I was, I was kind of venting to my therapist, like, oh, you know, I wish I had gotten like that senior title. And she was like, why? Like, do you really want that? what would it have done for you? And I was like, no, actually, I don't want that. It wouldn't have done anything for me. It would have no impact on the work that I'm truly passionate about. So hmm. um, I think having that perspective, that outside perspective um, and a healthier perspective has been a huge boost for me. Wow. Wow. Thank you for saying that. You are not the first guest on this podcast to bring up the importance of therapy. Um, and I, our very first podcast um guest was Courtney Mom, who mentions that even in her book, Before and After the Book Deal, that a writer, she recommends a writer should budget for therapy or make therapy part of their life. Um, So you're definitely not the only guest we've had here to um, advocate for that. And what a great question from a therapist of, well, what would make you happy? And is that something you want, even what your friend got? Because... Um, tell me what you think about this, but I think this this um, culture of competition and comparison, one, it keeps you unhappy, but two, it prevents you from really getting in touch with yourself and figuring out what it is you truly want because you're seeing what other people's successes are and you see success and you like go for that, but maybe that's not even what you want and you need to just back off and spend some time thinking through that for yourself, No. Yes, it's so easy to get distracted and chase after something just because somebody else has it. But then when you check in with yourself and realize that's not what you really need or want at all, um, it allows you to then stay stay more focused on the things that are important to you. And it's not easy. Like, it's it's not like, you know, things always follow like a natural continuum. Like, you know, I think real life zigs and zags and sometimes an opportunity that you didn't consider like your ultimate goal can pop up and can be a really good thing for you. Um, so it doesn't mean that, you know, everything has to be linear. Um, but yeah, I just think it's good to think critically and to weigh what is motivating you. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And, and again, thank you for, for mentioning this. Everything's not necessarily linear because on the flip side, I could also say myself, um, things have come up in my past that I didn't go towards because I didn't think that's what I wanted. And now I'm like, well, maybe I kind of did want that, but it's okay. It doesn't mean it's gone forever. Things cycle through and you figure out what you want and you try different things. So I think just to be easy on ourselves also and support each other and making decisions and then changing our minds is another great thing we can do for each other. Totally, totally. Yeah. Um, are you still, so y- you you were talking about how you left the newsroom. Do you still have any involvement with the Asian American Journalists Association? 
Yes, I'm very actively involved in AHAA. Um, so we just had our annual convention a couple weeks ago, and I spoke on a panel about mentorship, which was really exciting. And I'm one of the co-directors of AAJA's National Mentoring Program. This is actually my last year serving as a co-director. I think this is my third or fourth year that I've done this. But um, I feel like a huge part of staying involved in a sustainable way with a cause or an organization that is important to you is like checking in with your, with yourself and knowing when you're tired or when you're burnt out or hitting your limits and then take that time for yourself and then come back when you're ready. Um, so for years, I've been very, very involved in AAJA. I was on the board of the Asia chapter when I lived in South Korea. Then when I moved to New York, I immediately joined the New York board. Then I eventually became chapter president. Then I served as a mentor for um, this college and graduate student journalism program for two summers, and then became the co-director of the mentoring program. So I've done all of these different roles in AHAA, and it is truly, probably the organization that has pushed my career forward. And, um, and I continue to get amazing assignments through AAJA, which I'm so grateful for. Um, so I feel like it has just been a huge asset to my life. And one of my mentors in AAJA, when I was telling her like, oh, well, I'm so grateful for all of these things. And that's why I give so much. She was like, well, also you don't have to be beholden to AAJA for your whole career too. Like it's okay to take a step back. And I realized she was speaking from her own experience because she's somebody who's been like a national president of the organization and has had like a very high powered career. Um, so for her to say, hey, you could take a step back and it's totally okay. It's, it is such a powerful thing to hear from somebody that you really respect and admire. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's great. Um, that is, thank you for saying that too. I'm like absorbing hearing that and thinking through, okay, what is that? The things that we feel like we should be doing for all number of reasons and maybe what we think are good reasons too and like our service to the organization and it's okay to step back sometimes. That's really, mm -hmm. thank you for sharing that. Um, well, as, as we move forward and you said maybe you're going to be stepping back a bit more. Um, you, you've been doing a lot with AAJA. What is your hope as we near our time together uh, here, near, near the end of our time together here for the podcast, as you move forward with your own writing, what are you, what's your hopes for your own writing and how do you see community in your life supporting your hopes for the next months and years for your own writing? That's such a good question, Catherine. So I, I actually talk about this a lot with my husband because he worries that I fill my time too much with like all of these outside things, all these outside commitments and engagements and uh, meetups and whatnot. And he really keeps encouraging me to carve out the time for my own writing. Instead, he's like, don't let yourself get distracted from your manuscript, like your, your actual like dream book that you're trying to write. Um, and I, I think that there's so much wisdom in what he's telling me. And, um, and so I want to carve out that time for my own work. And I think that's not going to be a forever thing either. Like 
I hope that I will publish that book and that, you know, there will be other times when I can get more heavily involved in other kinds of commitments and then step back again and work on like another project. Um, But yeah, I think I need to be really serious and intentional about taking that time for myself as a writer. Um, And then meanwhile, I feel like the community part really never goes away. Like one of the most enduring parts of my writing community is my writing group. We're called Patience and Fortitude, named after the libraries or the library's lions. Lions, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because we used to meet um, in one of the free meeting rooms at the library at Bryant Park, um, the main, you know, Stephen Schwartzman building. And, um, And it really does take patience and fortitude to see a book through. And we've been meeting in different iterations, but the core three of us have been meeting, I think, since 2016. And... You know, so many of us have had major life changes. We've gotten married. We've had children. Um, Some of us have books coming out, which is really exciting um, as our group has grown. But I always know that I have like this core group of readers that I can share with and who will really be honest and encouraging with me about feedback and show me how I can be better and um, and and to give that feedback from a place of, of love and encouragement. So I, I'm so grateful for that. That's awesome. I have to ask a very quick follow-up there because so many folks who come on the podcast actually don't have a regular writing group. Um, and you do. You've had this one with three core members since 2016. That's five years. Mm-hmm. And so I wonder if you could just share how that writing group happened or how new members have come into it. What was the genesis of that group? Yeah. So uh, it's another AAJA connection, actually. So in 2014, I did a leadership training program for mid-career folks through AAJA. And then one of the people in my cohort was this other Korean-American writer. Her name is Carolyn Sun. And she was also working full-time in a newsroom, but had literary ambitions. She wanted to write a novel. I think she is just this electric... um, firecracker of a writer. I just, I always tell her that I feel like her pages are are like crackling with interest and tension. And um, so we both left our jobs around the same time, our newsroom jobs around the same time. And um, she said, hey, you want to write this book? I want to write this book. Let's just get together and and write. And one of my other coworkers also wants to write a novel. So I'm going to invite her too. So the three of us, her, our, our three members that we started out with are Carolyn Sun and Nina Zipkin and me. And we're all journalists who also love to read and write books um, or want to write books one day. <laughs> and so it's just been, none of us knew anything about the publishing industry. Like none of us knew anything about like, where do you get an agent? Like, how, well, how do you even publish a book? But if we just get together, share our pages, talk about what's working and what's not working, um, I feel like that's the start, right? That's like where you start to build the foundation that could lead to an actual uh, manuscript. Um, But yeah, like it was really Carolyn having the um, organizational powers to to bring us together and make it happen. And and it really starts from there. Um, I've, I've seen other writing groups pop up around classes that people have taken, 
Like this summer, I was lucky enough to TA for T. Kira Madden through the Kenyan Review Writing Workshops. And I've been seeing that our class members have been uh, meeting over Zoom, which is so wonderful and heartening to see that they're continuing to get together. Oh, that's great. It really is, I think, about somebody taking action and being like, okay, let's try this. I'm going to set up the Zoom link or or let's meet at this time at the library and just seeing how it goes. And, and I think that's a really good tip too. Like you had this um, background in common with journalism, but you were three people who wanted to write books and that was kind of different than what you had in common before, but you were going to go on this new adventure together and you knew you had this other thing that you had in common that was like a, a foundation for your relationship to each other. So that's, thank you for answering that question. That's super helpful, I think. Oh, thanks, Catherine. Yeah, and I am also so thrilled because you are such a giver in the community and lifting up other writers that um, I'm so thrilled to hear that you are planning to focus more on your own manuscript. And I just want to point out that even that is something that is in some ways supported by your community in that you had a mentor, AAJ, that said it's okay to step back. She's part of your community. Your partner said, hey, spend some more time on your manuscript. He's part of your community. Even even your community can tell you, hey, step back from the community. And it's still the community helping you with your writing. <laughs> yes. And there were times when I felt really guilty about not being able to give more. And then I've had people who I admire tell me like, no, 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 it's okay. Like, it's okay to have your limitations as a human being. And it's I'm always so grateful for that reminder because I feel like sometimes because you've received a lot of generosity that you feel compelled to kind of pay it forward, um, or at least I do, but just to continue to get those reminders from people that I love and trust is, um, it, it keeps me on course, you know? <laughs> yes, yes. And Hannah, thank you so much because you have always been very giving and generous with the resort and and uh, talking with us and teaching classes with us and just being here today on the podcast, which has been a super, super lovely conversation. I just want to say thank you. Thank you so much for being a guest on Cabana Chats with us today. Oh, thank you, Catherine. Thank you for everything that you do for fellow writers, too. I'm so amazed at how you are able to execute all of this, like bringing so many amazing, diverse writers into the fold and championing so many creatives. I just, I'm so grateful for you and all that you do for our community. Hannah, thank you for being in my community. Oh. And that, dear friends, is the end of our Cabana Chats episode with the wonderful Hannah Bay. You can find out more about Hannah at hannahbay.com. That's H-A-N-N-A-H-B-A-E dot com. You can find out more about The Resort at theresortlic.com. If you enjoyed this podcast episode, would you consider rating us five stars and leaving a review? It helps more folks find the cabana. Thank you so much. Just a quick heads up that as we sort out some different things happening at the resort this fall, we may switch to new episodes every other week for a while instead of weekly. To make sure that you don't miss a single episode, the best thing to do is to subscribe to Cabana Chats wherever you listen to podcasts. 
I want to give a special shout out to our resort assistant, Nadine Santoro, for her help with the transcriptions for our podcast episodes. Did you know that you can find transcriptions in our free online community? That's community.theresortlic.com. Our podcast editor is Craig Ealy, and our music is by Pat Irwin. I'm your host, Catherine Lasoda, and I'll see you next time in the cabana.